Thanks for downloading the Fearless in Devotion podcast. On today's episode... The national anthems at Wembley. I'm looking round and I'm filming it from this camera and the hairs are standing up on the back of my, my neck. Right, I'm English, right? I'm English and I'm proud, but that is one hell of an anthem. Is the name. Devotion. Christ and all, welcome back to Fearless in Devotion with me, Rhys Williams, Tim Edwards, Andy Gilpin and Liam Randall. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Who was, to, who was to go first after watching uh, us lose three nil to Stockport? Um, yeah, that bubble's well and truly burst, isn't it? Uh, that was a tough watch. Let's that's, that's, that's not beat around the bush there. No real creative force in midfield. You want Jarvis to step up. You want him to be the person to, to pull the strings. Can't quite see it at the moment. Uh, add to that, you make moves to sort the attack out and then the, the the defence got on the blink and it was just three three bad decisions, three 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 poor passages of play and Stockport of worthy winners made them look like world beaters in the end. Um I hard to see where we're gonna go on from here. I'll be honest that the lad who came on didn't fill me with a lot of confidence, but you know, hopefully proves me wrong. Uh soul destroying, isn't it? Just when they get you in a sort of slightly happy place, they go and kick you in the balls repeatedly <laughs> over and over again. Um, you know, it's like it's like putting sticking plaster, sticking plasters on like a triple fracture, isn't it? It's just not good enough. Um, it was just men versus boys. It was patently clear for all to see. You know, embarrassed by fairly local rival, not for the first time, has to be said. It could have been five or six, to be honest, and nobody would have had any complaints. And yeah, I mean, you know, whichever way you look at it, yeah, it's the players to cross the white line, and you know they've got an element of responsibility, of course. But you know, the management team have to have a long, hard look at that because um, whatever's been been put across the players in recent weeks did not transfer out there in any way, shape, or form to me. They look completely lost. Yeah. Losing 3 0 in your own backyard is sort of hard to take any time, but just the way things have changed so suddenly, you know, we seem to take a few steps forward and then a few massive steps back again. And I do want, I do want Dean Keats to succeed, but when I look at it, what, what do I want next season with the budget we've got? I want us to, to go up. And, you know, I know it's, it's no guarantee whoever you get in charge, but I just look and I think, is he, is he likely to be the man to do it? And I, I can't honestly say yes. Well, here's the elephant in the room is if we lose on Tuesday to Halifax, that's, that is definitely pretty much it, isn't it, for the season? You know, you know, I suppose most of us don't think we're going to make the playoffs now, but that would probably be the final nail. What, what, do, does the board have a decision to make then? Is there any point to make doing something? It's no. I mean, it's, it's just one of those, isn't it? I mean, people are talking about waiting until you know Fleur comes in place or something like that. I don't know. It would be hard to do something without your new CEO in place, unless yeah. your CEO is behind the scenes pulling the strings, saying, "I want this person to come in. I can work with them. I don't think you can do anything until she's in place." Yeah. We all, we can all sit here and we can all categorically state, without any shadow of a doubt, Dean Keats will not be recognised this time next year. That's a fact. He's not going to be here. He's 
and like, like, like Liam just said, we all want him to succeed. And if you ask most Wrexham fans, really, for, for them to think about that question, they will probably say, you know what, I'd love him to succeed because of what he brought to us as a player. But unfortunately, what he's brought to us as a manager is has got a lot of, you know, there's a bit of disparity between what he brought as a player and what he's brought as a manager. And that, that's, you know, that, that's a fact. The I imagine the loss column doesn't look too great under under his stewardship. And, um, you know, we've had a bit of a wag of the tail in recent months, but, you know, you would have expected a reaction after the, the, the double hard luck story of Easter. And we got an atrocious one. And we were schooled. We were we were schooled by a team that looked like they're running away with the league, and they're not. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's a discussion that we're going to have towards the end of the season, and, and we'll have quite rightly. But if, if you just take take the the whole takeover and, and financial resources out of it for one second, and then really ask ourselves, who in that team would you keep for next season? And I know it keeps happening season after season. You know, sweep because you know it's a, it's a big brush comes in, sweeps everybody out of the way, and we start afresh and go again. But realistically, how how many of that squad do you keep? I can't imagine there's going to be many. But we'll have that discussion in a time. But I'm pretty, yeah. I'm pretty certain in my head, it's not going to be more than half a dozen. We've had some wonderful guests on the Fearless and Devotion podcast uh, so far. And we've got another belter in store for you today. Uh, a rock in our defence playing a key part in uh, breaking the club record for the most clean sheets in a row for Wrexham. His full name is Mark Adam Crichton, but you all know him best as The Beast or simply Beast. Thanks very much for joining us. Mark, how are you, how are you today? Oh, it's uh, a pleasure to, to, to be invited on. I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you. I'm glad it's the weekend, though. It's been one of them weeks. A good place to start is you joining the club. Before you came to us, you obviously succeeded in something that we haven't achieved yet, which is actually getting out of uh, the National League into League Two with Oxford. W- what do you remember about coming to join us and sort of how did uh, Dean Saunders persuade you to come? In the end, it ended up a really, really simple, easy decision. Um, at the time, I'd had a little bit of a, a falling out with Chris Wilder at Oxford. Um, as you do, you know, as you know, as, as a player, you want to play all the time. You know, I wasn't really involved. I was sitting on the bench in most games, and I felt like I, I you know, I still had a lot to offer at that point. Um, but you know, it wasn't to be uh, at Oxford. So for me, I had 18 months left on my deal. I wasn't the sort of player that was just going to sit there and take my money, which I could have easily done. Um, I, in in effect, I walked away, you know, and didn't take a penny from Oxford. So. Um, and I did that with, with all the intentions of coming to, to a, another massive football club and playing lots of football. Um, and as it happens, you know, that's what, that, that is what happened. But um, yeah, having spoken to Dino um, a good few times um, on the move, um, it, it was nice and easy to, to jump at the opportunity, really. You know, as soon as he sort of told me about his plans and what he wanted to do. And, uh, and, and in all fairness, I liked Dino. I thought he was a really, really nice guy. Um, he had his moments where I think he could have done things better, uh, but you know that's it's always each to their own. But I really got on well with Dino, uh, and I remember uh, driving up um, the first night. What you were you were playing at home? I think you were at home to Luton under the nights. I remember sitting in the stand and it was Baltic. And I remember driving up on the way there, and, I, and I'm thinking, oh, it's not it's not not a bad drive from Birmingham. It's all right. It's not not as far as I thought it was. Then. 
I got it, I was sitting in the stands and I was absolutely frozen. <laughs> it was proper North Wales weather. Um, and I thought, well, okay, you know, I better get used to this ultimately. And then after the game, ended up hanging around for a little bit. Uh, I signed the paperwork with uh, with Big G. Um, so that was my first meeting with, with Geraint. Yeah. Um, and then ended up going back to the West Wing of, of Dino's house and, and spent the night at Dino's house because there was no accommodation sorted for that night. So pulled up at the mansion, uh, <laughs> walked around the lake um, and then got got into the house, met his wife, met the, the, the kids. Um, yeah, and I, I ended up staying in the West Wing, um, which was which was stunning. And then the next day, brought me back in and that was my first day of training with the lads and it was a good a very good dressing room you know there was some uh, some good characters in there uh, and I, I felt like I fitted in straight away uh, and I you know and I knew it was a good move you know the minute I sort of enjoyed the first you know, training session with the lads and you know and there was players that I, I sort of knew in there anyway um, so that always helps um, and then I think it was a it was a month where I was on loan initially, wasn't I? And then yeah, you were. Yeah, I actually didn't play much football for the club. It was when we had some real bad weather and it was snowy. And mm. I remember Dean saying, "Like you're the most expensive loan signing I've ever brought in because you've not <laughs> actually you've not actually been out on the pitch." Mm. Uh, I think I, I think I played like two games in all of like five or six weeks that I was there. But anyway, the 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 move was made permanent anyway, and then um, fully threw myself in, moved up, lived in the Rosset Hall. For the best part of three months. Uh, did Dino Nat? What's that? Sorry. Did Dino Nat? <laughs> Most of the shares in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Speaking of, yeah. did Dean did Dean look after you uh, at that night in his house? Give us a <laughs> give us a glimpse behind behind the curtain. At home with the Saunders. <laughs> I, remember, I, remember, I remember sitting in his TV room with him, and it must, it's, it's it's way gone midnight at this point because like, obviously we'd had a Tuesday night game. Um, and we were sat in this massive, massive telly, massive sofa, as you can imagine. And I remember just sitting there, drinking tea and eating loads of biscuits with him. Um, <laughs> he just kept, his, his missus just kept bringing trays of biscuits out to us, which obviously, I mean, look at the size of me. That was like, it was delightful to just see these just continuous biscuits coming into the room because I was just smashing through them. Um, but yeah, that's, that, that's kind of all I can remember of the evening. And then, yeah, first thing in the morning, got up and we were made lovely breakfast by, by, by his wife again. Um, I was absolutely royally looked after. Um, so sure yeah. he wasn't testing you for your attitude to nutrition? <laughs> Potentially, but he was always going to fail with that test. Um, yeah, so uh, no, uh, yeah, who knows? But yeah, it didn't put me off the biscuits, that's for sure. And obviously, you, you then joined permanently the uh, season after that. We then had two seasons in a row, obviously, then when we made the playoffs. We kind of sort of eulogised the 98-point season. But that season before, we had a right good go of it, didn't we? Including that, um, obviously, the loss culminated in the loss to, to Luton, again, in the playoffs. What, 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 yeah. what do you remember about those games in particular? remember the games against Luton were always really tough and seemed to be a team that, we always seemed to struggle against, apart from one time where we played them away and Pogs, Pogba scored at the death. And it was a really yeah. good performance away from home. It was nil-nil for a long time. I remember uh, that. It's, hor- it's a horrible place to go to Luton. You've got to know you've been there. It's minging. They make it really, really uncomfortable for you there. But we really we really performed that night. And I remember a little breakaway goal with about five minutes to go. And uh, it was like, that was... That was one of one of the greatest games I played in for the club because uh, I remember it. You know, su- uh, such a good 
uh, good result. But when we played them in the playoffs, they've always they've always seemed to have had the, the upper hand with us. And uh, was that I think that was the season where was it Gaz Taylor missed the penalty yeah. at their place. We had them on the ropes we had them on the ropes because we were we were, uh, we were so I think it was three nil away. So it was three nil at the home 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 match. Yeah. And I think yeah. it was dead and buried by half time to be honest. And then the yeah. went away. Chislevitz was absolutely causing a huge nuisance. I think he got yeah. the first. Gaz Taylor. I can remember. I can actually remember. I was in the press box. And yeah. I said to I said to Mark Curry, late Mark Curry, I said to him, "What's Taylor taking this this uh, penalty for?" Mark turned to yeah. me and said, "I think you'll find that Gareth Taylor's never missed a penalty for Wrexham." <laughs> <laughs> Five seconds. Just <laughs> summon the ghost of Mark Curry. <laughs> oh geez, yeah, yeah. No, I, we 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 scored really early, and we were we were out the block. So I think their fans. Yeah, their fans. It was Mangan. It was it was it was Mangan, wasn't it? It was Mangan. Mm-hmm. I think she's the bit start. Chislevich created it and Mangan got the tap it was in. Man- yeah, it was uh, Mangan yeah. scored. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then if we'd, have, if we'd have scored that at 2 0, the fans were already caning them. Absolutely. We'd, we'd, we'd have gone on. And then Maxi, the midget, got lobbed, didn't he? Um, <laughs> we always wanted caning that he was too short and, and it proved it away at Luton. Um, but yeah, and then that took the wind out of our sails. So that was kind of uh, the death of that comeback. Uh, but it was on. If we'd have scored that pen, it was on. Hundred percent. So. We felt it would have. We we had. We were on the pitch looking at each other, going, "We got these are gone. These are absolute." And and their fans are, are vile, vile <laughs> fans. You know, the minute they're, they're the sort of fans that you know, if if you go a goal or two down, oh, they're on you, uh, and they they suddenly go from loving you to hating you. So that would have just made it even worse for them if we'd have gone two 0 up, um, and we'd have just kept kept banging on the door. And, and I honestly think we'd have beaten. Oh, yeah. do. I never forget after that first goal uh, that Saunders had this smirk on his face sort of crossed on like he knew it was on as well he was like we've come out the blocks here and we were just on fire and then you could just see it sort of and it's understandable you know if you when you've played sport psychologically it can be quite hard to recover because you go what a chance that was to go tune it up yeah yeah and, and that's exactly how it felt I remember just feeling like all that excitement I had in my body thinking oh my god we are these are on the ropes absolutely yeah. on the ropes we're going to knock them out uh, and then it just all that wind and excitement was just taken from everybody it was just like sucked out of you um, and then it's a major major uphill struggle and you know we huffed and puffed but yeah they, they got the better of us over both of those seasons ultimately Time now for our first regular feature, History Only Tells a Story, where we discuss our favourite Wrexham-related clips from the archives. Liam, you're uh, up this week. What have you got for us? I've gone for a video that um, Kreitz was part of, well, a a game that he was part of, and it's the um, second leg of the Brighton game in the FA Cup. Following a 1-1 draw on the South Coast 11 days ago, Wrexham hosted Brighton in North Wales 24 hours after they were originally set to play, a frozen pitch causing a day's delay to the fixture. But the game didn't take long to warm up. Andy Morell opening the scoring with a delightful curling effort after just 23 minutes. What a goal. Oh, that was a brilliant goal. Absolutely brilliant And so nonchalant as well, just stood there like, yeah, Yeah. <laughs> the place erupted. It just erupted. What do you What do you remember? That game must be quite vivid. 
One of the first things I remember about that game was actually driving through Coy Poith on the evening and it was a real clear, crisp night and you can see the floodlights on. And I just yeah. remember, so I was so excited for the game. Like, so, like, there was no pressure on us whatsoever. We'd already been down to Brighton. We performed, you know, we, we turned up down there and we gave them a good run for, for their money down there. So we were going into this ultimately, like, whatever happens, like, we've done ourselves justice, we've done ourselves proud, uh, earned a bit of money for the club uh, with the replay and things like that. So we were, I was literally just driving there with, with zero nerves, zero nerves. And I just remember, just remember coming over the hill and Corey Point and just thinking, yeah, there, there she is. There's the beauty. The like the scene is set. Like we, you know, this is going to be a great night. And listen, it was a, it was one of the best nights I've ever had in football. It was, yeah, it was unreal. So that's the first memory of the night. Um, that I would say that's probably the second memory, uh, apart from great the fact of the, of the noise. You know, when we walked out of the tunnel, like the the place was bouncing that night, absolutely bouncing. And that's just a testament to, you know, the fans and the town and the, the support that is ultimately there for this football club. Should, you know, should we reach those sorts of heights where, you know, you're playing these big games week in, week out, those numbers will be there. Um, and and, and the, the fans that night were a reason why we performed, you know, the way we sort of did as well. You know, it was, it was a, a whole cumulative effect of, of everything, really. But that... That was probably the second part of the night where I thought, wow, what a great goal. And actually, by the way, we've got a chance of beating these because, again, like, they, ne- they never really hurt us. They never really hurt us on the night. We, To a man, we all performed and did our jobs. Uh, yeah, and, and I'm fast-forwarding to the end of the game now. I think the reason why they didn't celebrate, you know, uh, at, the, at the final kick in the penalty shootout was because they, they ultimately realised they didn't deserve to beat us. Uh, um, so yeah, that, that that's they're my sort of two two first thoughts of the night. I know Just, Liam get onto one part of uh, look at the <laughs> on his face. Look at <laughs> we're saying it was a good save. It was, not, it was a good save. It was a good save. Yeah. <laughs> was there what about was that? So they they equalised, didn't they? At that point. Yeah. Was it, was it, Ash, it was Ashley Barnes? Was it Ashley, Ashley Barnes? No. Who scored the header? No. Who scored the header? No. So uh, Ashley Barnes levelled with 13 minutes to go, and I can I can remember it absolutely yeah. Doctor stuffing uh, Wrexham because you yeah. know, they, they really were on top for for, for for most of the match. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I, I remember it as well. And it was just it was a little half chance. And to be fair, he got up and he's won a good header, um, and, and it's nestled in the top bin. And um, and Jossie didn't really have a chance, but yeah, it was one of those moments where you just think, oh, ball. Oh, like that is that yeah. our chance gone? Um, but obviously, it got it got even tastier after that. Really, you know, we still uh, we managed to you know to just dig in and, and crack on and you know and still take the game to them, which you know is a testament to the lads. Because yeah, most teams and you see it a lot in the FA Cup, don't you? You know, the underdog. You know, once they concede or or go behind uh, or in Brighton's case levelled up the play you, you, you kind of see the change then um, you know and then they come at you and they pepper you and pepper you and eventually beat you but it, it wasn't the case at all we went the other way and, yeah. and, and carried on um, you, you, you had a good head of save in that didn't you looking at the highlights absolutely yes Tim you are spot on <laughs> tell that to Liam tell that to Liam it was Andy it was he said it was a, a mess he said oh <laughs> yeah okay thank you <laughs> Yeah, just, yeah. Uh, just just going back to that to that goal, as much as the outcome 
was rubbish. And even Gus Poye said after the match that, that the team had got away with him. He pretty much admitted that before the press conference started. Right. But if you go, and we will put it up on, on the Twitter account by the time this pod comes out. Having looked over it again, Andy starts that move. He backs into the player, lays it off for Danny. Danny makes the run. And if you watch Morel, just keep your eye on Andy right throughout. When he's laid it off, he, he, he creates his own space. There's acres of space around him. Before he gets that ball back, he glances over his left shoulder, as in to say, nobody's near me here. I can pick my spot if, if I get the ball. Mm-hmm. Points to where he wants Danny to put it. Danny puts it exactly where he wants it. And he finishes it off in style. So not only to, to finish it with such a plum, but, but to actually start it and create mm-hmm. the space for it. I think without psychoanalyzing it too much, there's a lot more that's gone into that goal than, than maybe people, people realize. Are you, are you doing your uh, EUA for licenses or something? Too? <laughs> <laughs> no, watch, it, watch it back. That, that, that's the mark. No, no, listen, I've never watched it back and with my coach's head on and looked at the actual how it came about because I'm just mesmerised by the finish and the fact that he just stands there and just puts his arm yeah, yeah. and move. Um, but no, that's, yeah, the, that, that's the quality of a really experienced player, isn't it? Mozza was, was brilliant, mate. Absolutely brilliant to play with his knowledge, you know, and he, and he still had a right go, even at the right. I'm, he was paying maybe 50, wasn't he, for us? He must have been 50. <laughs> yeah. um, but I mean, he looked 50, but he looked 50 when he was 25. Said 50, 50, probably 60s, his hairline said. But, if, yeah, you no, uh, on, if you still want to come on, Andy, if you still want to come on, yeah, yeah, Mozart was quality. It just everything, even in training, everything he did was just. Uh, you know, he was an exceptional professional uh, in everything that he did. And so, you guys know, you, you've all met him. Such a lovely fella. Yeah, Such a lovely, lovely fella. You know, proper family man. Um, I didn't realise until Bryn Law told me the other week that he didn't, again, Moz didn't turn pro until he was, he was much older. Yeah, 24, 25. I think he was working in a gym. Rob McCaffrey, who used to be on Sky Sports, uh, was at the gym. And he just got talking to Andy. Andy said, I'm a bit of a player. I, I, I play for Newcastle Blue Star. And McCaffrey, through Joey Jones, got him a trial at Wrexham. And to be honest, for the first couple of seasons, he didn't really do much. I can remember scoring seven goals, six or seven goals in the Welsh Cup. And then he yeah. just had that golden season, 2002, 2003. One of the, you know, when a striker's tail is up and everything is just going into... Yeah, into, yeah. Bryn told me that story the other week and I, I, I had no idea. I thought Mozart was one of those players that had come through the youth development systems and, and come through that way. But no, you're absolutely right. He's working in the gym. Yeah. Spe- speaking of Mozart, what, what about him as a manager then? Because obviously he took over then <coughs> for that season. How did, how did that go? So Mozart was chalk and cheese to Dino. So when you talk about Dino, Dino was a really good coach, like to the finest of finest detail. It, sometimes too much because he would confuse confuse players. He always he almost felt like he was, or he he wanted to be talking to Premier League footballers. That you know yeah. you have to go for that level of detail, and he, he kind of wanted to do that with us. Whereas you know there was players in there that, that would never get to that level, nowhere near. In fact, so you kind of have to adapt your coaching style or management style to the to the level that you're working at if that makes sense yeah it does um, yeah. you know and, and but from a from a managing perspective I don't always think Dean knew how to talk to people on a level and talk to them um, so it's kind of hard to put into words he, he would say cer- certain things that he would probably get away with 
at his level. Um, sometimes maybe a little bit too arrogant with, with certain players. And, you know, you, for example, Curtis Obeng, you know, we didn't see the proper ability of Curtis Obeng until Mozza came in. Because hmm. Mozza's style was very different. It was much more put her arm around you, tell you how amazing you are, work with you, help with you. Whereas sometimes Dino would be more like, yeah. Your, your your SHIT for a better word, you know, that sort of thing. So, and for a young lad like Curtis at the time, you don't know how to take that. You know, he's just come out of Man City, he's coming to men's football, you know, he's probably already been battered and bruised from, you know, ultimately leaving a club the size of Man City. He comes to Wrexham and is getting told, you know, you're not good enough in this second ever. But, and that's not a detriment to Dino. That's That was Dino's way of trying to get him to be better. He thought that that was the way that would make him go, oh, I'll, I'll tell you what, then I'll do better for you. It don't work like that. And I, don't, I think that's where Dino didn't quite understand that you could maybe talk to an experienced pro like that and they would take it the right way and go, right, I'll show you, I'll shove it right up here. As opposed to a youngster will go, ooh, okay, he thinks I'm rubbish as well. So, it, you know, Mozza was very, very good. And this is where it kind of now fits in with me that you understand that Mozza had a life before football, which is the way I came through. Um, you know, I didn't turn pro until I was 23, so I've lived in the real world. I know how to talk to people. I know how to, you know, to be around, you know, the normal working class people and how to speak to people and treat them. You know, football's a very, very different world to work in. Completely different world. You know, what sometimes gets said in that dressing rooms. You know, I, I work in HR now. You, 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 you wouldn't get away with it. Absolutely not. But. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's completely different. The rules go out the window in there. But Mozza was great because he, he had that empathy side to him. And, you know, and he still had that, um, you know, that detail within the coaching and he had help from Billy Barr with that. Because at the time, Mozza, you know, Mozza wasn't doing his badges or anything like that. He was just kind of winging the coaching side of it, which I think that was probably the easy part for Mozza because he already had a good team of players, a good squad that Dino had assembled, in all fairness, we all knew our roles and responsibilities. We all knew the way that we played, you know, to, to the best of our ability. So our certain, you know, structure of play. So Mozza just kind of had to keep that ticking. He didn't really have to change too much. Um, so from that perspective, it was more like, uh, let's just keep doing what we're doing sort of thing. Um, but Mozza was really, really good, you know, with the youngsters and, you know, getting them up to the sort of levels where, you know, we, we saw Curtis Hobbin get to. You know, Neil Ashton, the level Neil Ashton got to another one. Um, you know, they were they were phenomenal players for us. Um, but that's the different styles really that um, that set them apart. And I think you know, Mozart was a really really good manager to work for. Just going back to that game, Mark. Um, so I think I'm pretty right in saying that uh, Danny Wright went off injured, and that was quite a, quite a blow. To- to a part of the season but I think what what more hit the team at that point was I think Brendan Rodgers was at that game saw how well Curtis Bing had done yeah bought him quite soon after and I think really and truly when when you guys were chasing down Fleetwood I think that might have been the difference between Wrexham finishing second to taking the lead just because he was so important to the team at that point how much of a, yeah. of a blow it, was it to lose it, it? Yeah, it unsettled us and you're absolutely right Brendan was at both games because I think his son was on loan at yeah, Brighton was, at the time. Yeah. Um, so it was just, it was a coincidence. He wasn't there to watch Curtis, but um, yeah, ultimately Curtis had two unbelievable games in a very short period of time. And you're absolutely right. Not long after that, that was when he was purchased. But 
for the life of me, I can never understand why Swansea didn't loan him back to us immediately because he never he never touched a blade of grass for him, mm-hmm. um, you know, from a first team perspective. So ultimately, it kind of and if you look at like look at Curtis's um, career since there, it's kind of killed him. The move kind of killed him, really. Um, you know, it, it, if you ask me honestly, did you know was Curtis ready for that? And I'd say this to Curtis as well. I don't think he was. I don't think he was good enough at that time to go from us straight to Swansea first team. I don't, it was too big. It was too big a jump for him. Mm. Um, and I think if you, if you spoke to Curtis honestly, I think he would probably agree. Uh, because he, he, all you saw then was he, he started going out on loan to League Two clubs for a month here and a month there. And he could never get any stride. So Curtis was a really, really good player. And I was lucky enough to play alongside him on the right-hand side. Mm. And he was, he was the perfect outlet for us. Um, yeah. Because, listen, I'm rapid, right? I was rapid when I played. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we remember. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember, Liam? There were some lazy runs out from the back. I yeah, yeah. yeah. Curtis, was, Curtis was just a little bit quicker, so he could yeah. always recover. Um, but, yeah, no... Curtis and I had a really, really good understanding down that right-hand side. And, you know, whenever Curtis and Chiz, you know, were on their game, like that, they were wonderful to, to work with down there. Ultimately, just give them the ball and let them crack on with it. Mm. Um, and that's what, what Curtis was great at, you know. I think he, uh, he he had a decent amount of assists for us for, you know, deliveries in the box. He used to win, I remember he used to win penalties for us because he'd get that far forward and he'd be running at people in the box and they'd, it was too quick, he'd just get tripped over. Um, but yeah, and I think I think it was a big blow, and it and it did unsettle us, um, not massively, but it, I think we'd have had a decent chance if we'd have managed to keep on Curtis and and Fowles, to be fair, because yeah, you know, Fowles yeah, was yeah. a decent player, and uh, and Fleetwood nicked him off us as well, so um, double blow really, two two decent players and influential players for us at the time. Mm. So just one one quick thing, uh, Reece, you're a Swansea lad. Why didn't they loan him back? <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't get me started, mate. I was livid. Don't know me responsible for that. I, we were absolutely fuming. It, it didn't make any sense whatsoever. I think we got Danny Alfie oh, on loan. Was this straight oh, yeah, after? Sorry, who, great, 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 great player who I uh, played with at Dunbarnsley Crosses under under tens, under elevens. I think. I doubt he listens to this podcast, so I so I feel safe saying. He was no replacement for Curtis O'Beng. And, mm. I, you know, I, yeah, it doesn't make any sense why he doesn't get a look back. Yeah. Well, and the reason, the reason, you know, he, he was a great lad. Um, and and the, the reason he was no replacement for Curtis is because he'd come through the, you know, through the youth system. So he was used to playing reserve team football at best. Yeah. You know, he's not playing first team men's football. It's very, very different. It's Whenever you go and watch these, you know, under 23 games or under 21 games, it's you have it, we have it, you have it, we have it. It's very much like that. If you've seen one of those games, you've seen 100. They're all the same, exactly the same, you know, and that's what, you know, Danny Alfie came into the team and, and that's what he was used to. But it's, it, the harsh reality is it's nothing like that. It is nothing th- like that whatsoever. I think his first game, I may be wrong in this, but I think his first game was Newport away. Uh, was it Newport away in the league and he was gave away Stockport? the penalty? I don't know. Might be wrong. Which one? Because one of his first games, unfortunately, I remember, and I because uh, I said hello to him on the sidelines, uh, was Newport away, and he did gave he away. Did he remember? He did, you? he did remember me, mate. He did. Yeah, yeah he did. So there's um, Jason Mohammed. <laughs> <laughs> right. Someone else asked a question now. <laughs> just, just, just quickly to mention though, I did speak to Curtis about it. 
because um, obviously I caught up with him after and stuff like that. And he, in all fairness to Curtis, he, him and his agent did strongly demand that they that Curtis came back, but ultimately they just said no. Yeah, fair enough. Harsh realities of, uh, of football. Time now for some quickfire questions on Beast's former Wrexham teammates. Who is the most skillful? Ooh, Glenn Little. Yeah, I thought Liam had answered that. He was nodding sagely. He loves Glenn Little. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who is the worst dressed? Jocelyn Maybe. Horrific. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you've got to tell us a bit more. We, we need. Uh, we need. Um, he would just look. He looked like a jumble sale every day. Every day, like a jumble sale. Every day. Yeah, every day. <laughs> <laughs> and Pogs, and to be fair, and Pogs. Yeah. Pogs is, yeah. <laughs> they went to the same jumble sale, maybe. Yeah, the jumble, they must have, sh- uh, have shared a suitcase or something because they apparently <laughs> just looked like a, a bag of crap every single day. <laughs> uh, who was the biggest moaner? There's a, there's a couple of candidates for that one. Mangy loved a moan. Jeez, God, Andy Mangy loved a moan. But so could Neil Ashton. He loved the wind as well. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The We're not stereotyping here at all, are we? <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. But he was definitely angry with Scousers. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to say Mangy was the biggest winger, but in a funny way. He, he would he would moan in a funny way. Right, yeah, he knew about it. Uh, yeah, it was the tightest, tightest for money. Curtis Obeng. Yeah, oh, it, interesting. Miraculously, always lost his wallet on a night. Oh, out. okay. Uh, Left it in the car, lads. Oh, okay, Curtis. Okay. <laughs> Every time, without fail, Curtis Irvin. And finally, who is the most underrated player? Joe Clark. Yeah, I like yeah. Clark. Yeah. Joe Clark. I, I think um, Joe was really good for us. A bit of an unsung hero, really, at times, because he would just go about his business quietly, and he would never be in the you know, get the plaudits and in you know in the back of the papers and stuff, but. Joe was um, Joe was an integral part of our team, that successful team. Um, so I, yeah, I'll probably say Joe Clark. Do you think he was underrated because he didn't come from a big club and it was almost like? No, I think I just think uh, I don't think he was. I think he was just uh, hard to explain. But he would just he would just be like your steady seven or eight out of ten every week. Got his job done. That was it. He would never. Never been like major. I mean, he scored some great goals for the club. To be fair, some wonderful goals. But Joe's game was all about breaking up the play and you know and being energetic. And it was just when you're in a team with you know extravagant other players like Sears and you know uh, and players like that who would get people off their off their bums. Mm. Like players like Joe would just go unnoticed, but not not to the players. Yeah, what was it like being part of a team that went so close that season? Because I don't, there, has any other team ever got 98 points and not gone up? I don't know. I'm sure there might be an example out there, but I can't think of one off the top I of my head. I can't think of one either. It's, yeah, it's, a, it's an absolute travesty. And I think, again, that was part of the reason psychologically. You know, we were, we were gone when we played Luton in the playoffs. It was almost like, like somebody had really pissed on our chips because we were so good for such a long period of time. Um, and then just to, to, yeah, just to have it taken away by a team that just literally had Jamie Vardy. 
Um, yeah. You know, he, he was the difference. You know, whenever, you know, we, like so, for example, we would we would play on a Saturday or whatever, and, and you know, we'd get a great result, and then they might have a game on a Tuesday night where we're not playing, and you're watching the scores come through as you as you do. You know, you're looking at yes, nil nil, get in there, and then 92 minutes, Jamie Vardy, and you just think, yeah. what chance have we got? Right, they've, they've just got this absolute goal machine that just everything he touches turns to gold. Um, yeah, so it was, um, yeah, it was major, majorly deflated to get 98 points and just not get promoted. Yeah, it was uh, you know, one of the hardest things to take, I think, in football that I've, I've had and I've lost at Wembley. Um, so, it, yeah, it, it's up there. It's up there because, to, 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 like I say, to perform for that long period of time yeah. and just think, you know what, we absolutely deserve to get promoted off the back of this and then you just you get nothing you get absolutely nothing for it. Nothing. It's chalked off and you go again next year. You had a dabble with management, if memory serves me correct, at Southport alongside mm. Andy Bishop. Yeah. Tell us a bit about that. Is, is, was it, I mean, was that quite a steep learning curve? Is it something you'd ever consider going back to? Or is that, is that, is that pretty much parked now? That's, that's done. No, yeah, it's definitely parked. And was, as soon as I retired, I went and joined Gary Wilde at, at Kiddy Arias um, as assistant yeah, manager. Yeah. So I had, had two years there. Uh, and it started really well. We, we got off to an absolute flyer. But it was at that point then that the club changed ownership and literally the budget was decimated. So, you know, we had some players that were still stuck on contracts. So we couldn't really sign any fresh players in because the money was gone. It was tied up. Then they had, there was all the problems of players not getting paid and all all of that sort of stuff. So the time at Kiddy was pretty much, I ended up putting out fires. So then uh, Gary Mills, went, went in with Gary Mills when he came into the club. And um, I remember when Gary initially got the job, uh, prior to him getting the job, he was phoning me and asking me about the club. You know, and I was, I was telling him all about it. So he was, you know, he was really keen to get the job. And I could tell that from, you know, the questions he was asking me. Uh, and he said, he, he said then, he said, you know, how would you feel about, you know, coming in and helping us out at the time and this, that and the other? And I was like, yeah, sounds perfect. I, I, you know, I was, you know, more than happy if that was the case to come back up to up to, up to the club. Um, anyway, he gets the job and I, I didn't hear nothing of it. I, I, I left it. I didn't, I didn't approach him and, he, you know, he didn't approach me and it, and it didn't come off. Um, and then he spoke to me again in the summer. Um, and, and he said, oh, do you fancy coming up? He said, I've got no money or anything like that. He said, but do you want to come in and, and work with you know, work with us, do some coaching with the person? I was like, yeah, absolutely. Now, I had the business that was you know, paying me a salary, so I, I, could, I could afford to do it. So no, I, I came in on an on a unpaid basis, which was, which was fine. Um, but he actually said to me, he said, you know, he said, the reason why I didn't get in touch with you the first time is he said, because I was just, I was just so wary that, you know, you know what it's like, Crichton. If you, you know, you have three or four bad games on the bounce. The first thing they shout is, "We want Mark Crichton in the in the hot seat." And he said, "I, I didn't want to put us both in that position." Which, you know, I said to him, "Do you know what? Thanks, thanks for telling me that." He said, "Because I said, well, I, I, ne- I never knew the reason why you didn't contact me again about it." But I said, "That's absolutely fair enough. No problem at all." So anyway, started doing that through summer. Again, started the season quite well. Then Andy Bishop phones me at Southport. Crichton. I'm desperate for a number two. I need an assistant. At that point, I'm thinking, well, okay, that's a step up from first team coach from Wrexham. I'm going to get to go in and have a work with somebody who's going to be on the same sort of mind length as me, brand brand new coach, you know, new thought processes, 
wants to try new things, a modern coach, so to speak. Um, so anyway, goes in there, yeah, all, all bushy-tailed, etc. Bish gets the sack after a week. <laughs> so that disrupts it straight away. And then in comes Steve Burr. Steve Burr comes in and, and, and again, not a modern coach. Um, very much does things how he has done for, for years and years and years and years. That didn't really suit me. Uh, ended up feeling like... And you end up feeling like you're banging your head against a brick wall when you're trying to put these new methods in place and you're trying to change things and you're saying, Gaffer, come on, we need to do, let me do this. And let me, no, 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 it's all right, Christ, I've always done it like this. And you're just thinking, well, we're getting fucking beat every week. Like, what? Yeah. We, we've got to change something. And then it just never happened. So it was just one of them. See you later. And it was at that point that I just thought, ain't for me this. It, it ain't for me. Like, I, I, I was fed up with football. I have enjoyed, you know, over the recent years, did some work for the Welsh FA as a coach educator, you know, where you're coaching the coaches, you know, through their, through their C certificates and things like that. I really enjoyed that. That was good um, because you didn't get the, uh, the rubbish of, of, of general club football that comes with it. Um, so I did enjoy that. But then obviously worked my way into Peninsula and doing what I'm doing now and just don't have any time for anything else and I, and, and I don't want to use up any of my time for anything else one thing I realised after retiring from football is just how much you miss out on with things like your kids and stuff like that it just it consumes your whole life football does um, and there's you know you can't book a weekend away or say do you know what we're going to do this on that day you can't do any of that you know and when you've got kids that's that's really hard and it's only after the uh you know, after the horse has bolted, that you realise that ultimately. And, it, and I wouldn't change that for anything now. That's why, you know, I only do the comms for the club on a Tuesday evening. But it works great, you know, because I don't want to throw myself and, and commit myself to football again. It's just it's just not something I'm interested in, Tim. How did you find Gary Mills as a person? Because I know he's quite a divisive character for Wrexham fans. I mean, obviously, when he came in, they played some brilliant football, but it seemed to... Yeah. It seemed to really fall apart after that, and I just wondered what your, your thoughts on him were. I got on really, really well with Gary. Um, some of his methods were a bit, I thought, a bit strange. Um, but you know, this is a, this is a manager who had had relative success in recent years, you know, with those methods. So you've got to tell day, us about you've got to tell us about those strange methods yeah, now. Listen, it's common knowledge that, you know, guys like to drink and he liked his players to have a drink and a social and things like that. Whereas, just sometimes you just think it's probably a bit much. <laughs> but, but again, like you can't question someone's, you know, someone's ability to do a job when they've done it, you know, and they've been successful with it. Yeah. However, you know, we, things have changed and football evolves all the time and you have to adapt with it. You know, players don't drink anymore. They don't. They drink water. You know, they're boring. You know, when I played, it was all right to have a couple of pints after the game. Um, but now, if you want to be the best you can be, you've, you've got to you've got to bin all that. Um, and I think that's where it started to catch up. Um, you know, there was there was times where we would maybe say, for example, we were playing down south. The team bus would go to Nottingham first to pick the gaffer up. And then we'd go down south. So it was a bit like, and we, you know, we were praying over there, but it was a bit like, well, we're just, we're adding extra heaviness to our legs when we don't really need to. Those sorts of things, really, you know, when you yeah. just... It's quite antiquated, again, yeah. 
Yeah, but but again, you know, these are things that you've done for years and years, and it, it, I guess when you when you're successful, and, you, and I guess it's the mindset of thinking, well, I don't need to change it because this has always worked. When listen, if you don't adapt in football, you die ultimately, and that's that's the harsh reality of it. Um, but really, like Gary, um, really really nice guy. I got on great with him, um, so I haven't got too bad a word to say about him. But it, certain things I probably would have done differently. Just the very last thing on this. Do you think we got Gary Mills about three to five years too late? Yes. But next up, we've got Fearless in Devotion. Each week, Kreitz, we ask our guests to choose their most fearless in devotion moment uh, playing for the town. So basically the moment that filled you with the most passion. What do you think of when you think of that? I'm going to break the mould, and I didn't have to play for the town. Okay. But okay. It was um, a good one. Would have been obviously Liam's picked the uh, the Brighton at home game. That was that was huge. So if if I did two, that would be the one from when you're playing, you know, and the noise that was created at the ground. But I've got to say, when I filmed Beast Camp, oh. right? <laughs> oh, well known, yeah, right, and the national anthems at Wembley, right? That was it. That was the moment for me where I'm looking round and I'm filming it from this camera and the hairs are standing up on the back of my, my neck. Like, I'm English, right? I'm English and I'm proud, but that is one hell of an anthem. And when yeah. you hear the passion and, you know, and the Welsh voices and it's belting out, that for me was the, holy cow, like, this is unreal. And he's got a lovely rich tenor voice. It must have been... Oh, that. yeah, absolutely. Used to hear it. Coming from right. Rose. Coming from Rose. And the occupant, everyone else be quiet. <laughs> it will whistle through my, I think, uh, my tooth. I think I was actually there when the players had rehearsals to do the anthem. Yes. I think it was with Spencer Harris's wife. I, I, was there. I, I filmed it on my phone. There's a really terrible video of it on YouTube. But I always remember that before the final. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah that, that definitely happened. I can confirm that did. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've got a good, uh, good memory of, of Mark Crichton having an exceptional singing voice. Not that I ever mention it to him very much. I think you know what I'm on about, don't you? Oh, no. What have I sang now? There's we too were, many, we, many we, we, went, we went to the funeral of, of um, Steve Edwards. He used to do commentary for the, for, the, uh, for the football club many, many moons ago. I remember and Steve, you, yeah. You, you went along as club representative, if you like. And I, right. sat, I, sat, I sat next to you in the church. Then I was belting it out, was I? Well, no, it wasn't even that. I can't remember which hymn it was. Um, but we started, it might have been a Bible with me or something like that. I do, I do, I remember. I remember, I remember it. <laughs> so I'm expecting yeah. you to sort of rumble out this sort of low, you know, sort of bass, tenor, deep voice. Yeah. I could not, when, yeah, when you started singing, I Ali Jones. <laughs> it, it was like Ali Jones. I, I literally, my jaw dropped and I turned to the left and I was just like, where on earth is that coming from? I thought you were screaming nuts to go that, that high. It was. Maybe I was. Honest, it was it, it was unbelievable. I can't remember much else uh, about that funeral or anything, but that was was an absolutely stellar performance. Well, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I touched your life, Tim. You know, in more ways than just football. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. What was it like though? That going back to the beast camp, like not being a part of it, but doing doing the filming. It, it saved me from being utterly depressed um, because it gave me a role, gave me a role to play and. Um, and a purpose for being there. 
Um, because I mean, it was already demoralising enough having obviously like a, such a bad injury and being out for so long, and then almost getting fit so close to the actual day. Yeah. Um, so you know, I think it was only a couple of months later that I actually got actually back out on the pitch. Um, I think I think it would have been worse had I never played at Wembley myself. But luckily, I'd, I'd already I'd already had a couple of goes at that. So so it wasn't it wasn't anything to do with that, but. You know, it it was hard to not be out on the pitch with the boys, especially when you know you can affect something as well uh, and be and be affected within the game. But that said, I absolutely loved doing the base camp because I think, and you guys only got to see what the edited version was. <laughs> I mean, what did we what what did we miss? Uh, I can't disclose. I can't disclose. <laughs> There's going to be children listening to this. Um, I bet Joe Clark was involved. Oh, and all of them, because they were all such great lads. They were all such good lads and they had good sense of humour. So none of them took themselves too seriously. Um, so that was just pure 48 hours of fun for me. Uh, proper rib cage, belly busting laughing. Um, so you can only imagine, if you know, obviously... It's, it went down well. You, the fans, oh, great. It, you know, oh, and there's some funny things in there. So you can only imagine the other funny bits that could be in there. So, what, yeah. what were the celebrations like that that night? Ridiculous. I don't think there's many pictures, but Glenn Little was like a cabbage the <laughs> the night. He he literally couldn't open his eyes. We carried, me, me and Katie carried him back to his room, or we we found a wheelbarrow and put him was in a wheelbarrow or something. Wasn't it a pram? pram? It was a kid's pram. pram. Yeah, it might have been a pram and we pushed him back to his room in a pram. Yeah, there was um, there was some heavy drinking uh, that went on after the, after the game. I think we had the, uh, we had a, was it a party in the whole Lodge? Was it the whole? Yeah, we came back and there was a, there was a do put on at the whole Lodge and there was, uh, yeah, there was, um, there was some alcohol consumed. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't think many people saw the next day. Fair <laughs> play. I don't want to bring a downer on it, Kreitz, but um, your injury I'm intrigued by because uh, I uh, recently, about 18 months ago, I had a nasty knee injury myself. I did the old um, terrible triad, the MCL, the ACL and the Mm -hmm. meniscus. Talk us through what happened to yours. There might be people who've also been through a knee injury who can uh, sympathise. Yeah, so it wasn't, firstly, it wasn't the the ACL that was my problem. Yes, I did the ACL, but that wasn't the issue. Um, the surgeon was more than happy with how that repaired and healed. Um, I did I did my um, my MCL as well at the time, but again, having you know been out for so long, that naturally healed itself. It hadn't fully ruptured, so it was in a place to just find its find its own feet again, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. The problem I had was the microfracture. Um, so it was basically the, the, the tib and the fib smashed together during the impact. And I took a chunk out of, uh, out of the bone right on the weight bearing part. Um, so basically they needed to repair that. And the way they repair it is they obviously scrape out the bit of broken bone first and foremost. Then they base in a nutshell, the best way I can describe it is a hammer and nail and they hammer loads of holes into it to make it bleed to form a scab. And then obviously six six weeks on crutches so that you can't you don't move it. That scab hardens, and then as you slowly start moving your knee again, it forms back to the shape of the bone that it should have been. Um, that was the part that never really repaired properly for me. So uh, it's right on the weight bearing part. I've got hardly any meniscus left anyway, so I'm <laughs> I was next to bone on bone ultimately. Yeah. 
Um, and like to this day, I, I wake up in the morning, I can barely walk on it. it. Takes a good half an hour to get it going. I'll need a knee replacement at some point, um, which I'm not looking forward to. But listen, I, I'm, it's not a downer for me. It's part and parcel of my life. It's, it's, it's what's happened. I was fortunate fortunate enough to be a professional footballer. Yeah. Simple as that. There's loads of people who try and have a go and they don't get there. I managed to get there and nobody can ever take that away from me. And I've got some great memories of it as well. And we got Beast Cam, so it was fine. And you got Beast Cam, absolutely. <laughs> Now it's time for Mighty Heroes. Each week we nominate one player in each position to be considered for the dream Wrexham 11 of our lifetime, so around the last 30 years. So far now, we've got a quite a good team forming. We've got Andy Marriott in goals, Carlos Edwards at the right, Phil Hardy on the left, right Joey, Jones, Joey Jones at <laughs> centre-back. Let's not go there. And then uh, we're, today we're picking the next centre-back. So it's great that we've got Kreitz on board uh, to help us make this decision. Um, who wants to go first? Okay, Tim, you not demanding. Tim, Tim you can go. Okay, okay. Liam, you know who you were doing earlier. You can, you can go first. Sixty seconds to make your case. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so I'm going to go for Brian Carey, the big stopper from Cork. Uh, he joined us on loan from Man United in 1991 and was famously part of the team which knocked Arsenal out of the FA Cup in '92. After that, he had a spell at Leicester, where he went on to be part of the team that gained promotion to the Premier League after beating Derby in the playoffs. And on his return to the race course, he made close to 300 appearances over the next nine years. There's an absolute rock at the back. A real model of consistency. Captain, he was a key part of the team, winning promotion in 2002 and the LDV trophy as it was back then. Uh, we know it didn't work out for him as a manager, but he was a loyal servant to the club, staying on the staff and later became an assistant to Dean Saunders. Um, he was also a nice bloke. In fact, he diffused a tense exchange that I was having with a few other fans with Jeff Moss in the Yale stand car park. Uh, by coming out with a tray of sandwiches. Um, so, Brian oh. Kerry, all round decent bloke, rock at the back, great defender. Just a couple of seconds left, well summed up. Okay, uh, Andy, you can go next because you're always begging to go last, and uh, so you have to go second today. Um, okay, three, two, one, go. Right, if you'd have told me I'd been voting for this player on March the 20th, 2001, I'd said that you'd been on the spice at Wrexham bus station. We just lost 1-0 at home to Bury, and this fellow was awful. Didn't know where to stand, what to do with the ball after coming on as sub. And this carried on for a long while, actually. I thought, actually thought we'd make, made a joke signing. But Dennis Lawrence became one of my favourite people of that Wrexham team, basically because of who he was. The six-foot-seven-inch former soldier had the character to succeed when many thought Brian Flynn had just made a boo-boo. It took him until midway until the next season to really establish himself. But when he did, he was strong in the air, as strong in the air as you'd expect. But Big Den could also use a ball and was fond of some exciting rampaging runs. He played 198 times for us, scoring 14 goals. But the love affair didn't stop there. He moved into the town. His daughter enrolled at Plascos Junior School and he was always seen driving around the town in his battered car with Carlos always in the front and Hector was in the back. He took Wrexham to his heart and we did the same for Big Den. Beautifully done. Overtime, 
but I, I let you do it. You've got to give me 10 seconds. You've what, got what, to give bit, me... what bit can't you give him? What bit can we chop off? <laughs> oh, he loved the town. Let's just say he hated it then. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Tim, you can go next. Uh, okay, uh, on the hoof now. Three, two, one, go. Yeah, this is a tough one, but I've gone for Emmanuel Smith, also known as Manny. Basically, when he came to us, first season, he played every minute of Wrexham's 61 League and Cup games. That is 5,490 minutes plus a bit of injury time, if you didn't know. Basically, that earned him a clean sheet at the Player of the Season Awards, often as captain in many of those games. He was released at the end of his third season by Gary Mills, but returned from Gateshead to us in June 2017. He basically carried on where he left off um, with the Reds. Um, played a huge part in Wrexham's all-time best defensive record alongside Sean Pearson. He, as a result, he was named in the non-league team of the season. Obviously, we know he ended up retiring last January, uh, or January 2020, through injury. But for me, he was a warrior, he was an athlete, he was brave. He was commanding in the air, composed on the deck. It's a travesty we never got promoted with him in the side. It was great distribution, always two steps ahead, read the game superbly. Time's up. Yes, it's non-league, but great player. Nicely done. Okay, me last. Um, who wants to count me in? Three, two, one. Go. I'm going to go for Captain Fantastic, Sean Pearson. Uh, stats first. I've got you 118 games so far, uh, 11 goals, much like Kreitz, a rock at the back, uh, and he really poses a big threat in the air, as we all know, in the opposition box. Plagued by injuries recently, people expressing doubts, uh, even devoted Wrexham fans about you know his age and whether he'll come back. Each time, he totally proved those people wrong. Most recently in his return against Bromley, where he slid back in effortlessly and showed in some ways what we've been missing, even though our defence has been pretty solid this season. But forget on the pitch, off the pitch, what a legend too. Liam talks about nice blokes, but, you know, Sean Pearson furloughed like footballers across the country, went around and offered to help out as a driver at the fat ball. And not only that, sales went up, people asking for him specifically. So he's boosting the local economy as well. Three, uh, two, just to finish, one, he also fouled Dean Keats to give away the penalty in the FA Trophy final. So he's obviously had Wrexham's best interest at heart. <laughs> That's a good test seconds over. We can't have that last bit. Well, you oh, were over too, so it's fine. Um, <laughs> okay. Uh, Kreitz, immediate thoughts. Love Manny. Love Manny Smith. I think he's, he's spot on geezer, but a great centre-half. Love Sean Pearson. Same. Lovely bloke. Um, often talked to him off the pitch. Um, had many clashes over the years together. Again, top, top centre-half. A proper leader. But we can't be mentioned in the same breath. Uh, you know, as as much as I love him, you know, any of us really at this level can't be mentioned in the same breath as you know your Brian Carey, your Dennis Lawrence. It just it's just rude. Um, yeah, if I if I was going to pick one of them, it's it's big bribe for me. Um, you know, I got to, got to work with him under Dino as well. Um, he helped my game, even though at that point, you know, I was, I was touching thirty, so I should really know my game by then. But my Brian made, got me even better, made me a better, a better centre half. Um, didn't get a chance to you know, spend any time with Dennis or, or meet him, in fact. But again, another another hero of the football club. Uh, but if I had to pick one, it, yeah, it'd be a big, big bribe for me. Um, Does anyone sure. want a controversial, uh, a controversial view? I never rated Brian Carey. Oh, Why? Always thought he let the ball bounce. <laughs> it might be this finger when you're a kid, you see it once and then it just gets ingrained <laughs> in your mind. 
but I saw him. I saw him let the ball bounce once, and someone scored, and I went, "Oh, that Brian Carey, he's no good." <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, he is. Obviously, he is. Obviously, he's a Wrexham legend. Yeah. The only thing I would say is, again, and I keep I keep throwing these things in, but Dennis Lawrence played in the World Cup. That's got to mean something. And the other thing I will say about Dennis, and it's the last thing I'm going to say, is I remember midway through that season uh, when he first started, he was awful. Brian Flynn was about to get sacked. I was fuming because we'd lost 2-0 at home on a Tuesday. And I wanted an interview for the paper. And I got him just getting into his car. And I was actually pretty livid with the team. And I was livid with him. And we had a quick chat. And we'll be in five minutes. I said, what are you going to do to get better? He looked me in the eye and said, I will get better. I'm a, I'm a former soldier. I'm an international. I'm a strong character. I will get better. And that lad got better. And I respect him for that. I respect so him. He scared you into permission then. Yeah. <laughs> he was on, he was you're, you're basically just seven. admitting that you were a junior reporter who bottled it when he actually came to confront <laughs> what, someone. What, what do you want me to do? Wrestle him? Has he ever brought you a plate of sandwiches though in a car park? That's what I, I did not eat a sandwich that night. <laughs> okay, who? Okay, forget international level. Who played at the highest level out of those two? What club level? Club level. Brian, are you saying defence force the uh, Trinidadian champions eleven times <laughs> in in a hundred years? Even on played for Swansea. Scary. Scary. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Lawrence played for Swansea. I think he may he definitely played in League One, but I'm not sure if he played Championship. Nah, nah, he yeah. also he also grabbed Michael Owen around the throat at the World Cup, so Big Den gets my vote. Uh, <laughs> are we going with Big Bry? I think, to be honest, after all my procrastination, I think it's got to be Big Bry. He is a Wrexham legend, and also if you look at the mix at the back, him and Joey would be a pretty fearsome combo. And we could have we could have Dennis as maybe assistant coach and the enforcer. <laughs> Okay, someone I would bottle it with in a car park, yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Okay, big Brian Carey, congratulations. You've made it into our mighty heroes. So congrats to big Brian Carey. You have made the final spot in our centre-back team, and that is the defence complete. It's a defence, it's got everything. It's got Carlos, who's obviously a winger, uh, at right back. (laughs) We've got a left back. Look at his Wikipedia page. (laughs) The ever dependable Phil Hardy. We've got the maniac that is Joey Jones next to the cork stopper that is Brian Carey. But I think there's a couple of honourable mentions, especially at centre half. Tim, who have we missed? Oh my God, there's so many. I listed off these a few weeks ago trying to figure out how to pick my two. Anyway, don't at me because there's a lot in here and I've also picked up some ones from, uh, from people who've, who've contributed on Twitter. So in no particular order, we have got Mel Pedgick, we've got Barry Hunter, oh, Steve Hunter. Roberts, Steve Roberts, Richie DeLayet, three appearances. What? He was a right back. <laughs> what? No, <laughs> apparently centre-half, but I could be wrong. Anyway, Frank Sinclair, You're Nigel right. Beaumont, uh, Mike Williams, Big Steve Evans, Ashley Westwood, Curtis Tilt, Martin Riley, and going back to an older generation, Gareth Davis, of course, and Eddie May. Mm. I'm sure there's people we've forgotten, but that's a good list. Yeah, that yeah. Is a re- that's, there's a couple of great centre-halves there. I mean, Barry Hunter deserves Massive. a bit of words because he came after the Isle of Man tournament and yeah. he was brilliant straight away. From a guy who came in from the Northern Irish League Crusaders, I think. I think we paid 40 grand for him. Oh, yeah. What a player straight off the bat. Speaking of Steve Evans, does anyone remember that 
that FEW trophy game where you got red card in, in Senesi. So uh, it's, it's such a ridiculous game to remember, but I was there, obviously, because it's local <laughs> to me. Um, no one remembers it. I, he went no. right down in my estimations after that. Um, Go on, remind yeah. us. I can't even remember. I just remember, we, I think we were 2-0 up or 1-0 up, but it was, I think it was the season, we either the season we got relegated or the season before when we just did up against Boston. And, you know, we were dying for a win and everyone was saying, oh, we're playing Shinesi next week. Like, you know, get a win and hopefully it might kickstart some league form. And I think we were one or two to lap and Evans headbutted someone. He did something ridiculous <laughs> and evil. we ended up losing the game, obviously, in extra time, I think. And it was did just... Did just... Reece Griffiths, former uh, fireman? <laughs> we should have signed him. Did anyone should... ever think about signing him? It was never no, mentioned, was it? It was never mentioned on Red Passion or anything. No, he always played on the edge, did Steve Evans, it has to be said. I can remember him being sent off just before Christmas quite a few times, actually. I'm sure they were all coincidences. There's a strange one because at one stage he was on the brink of... Was he on the brink of joining Leeds, or am I making that up? Is that myth, or is that a fact? Steve Evans? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me, because he had everything to make a centre-half at a decent level, including a Big massive boy. head. Yeah. <laughs> like, the biggest head I've ever seen. And a, and, a, and a full Welsh international, lest we forget. Yeah, yeah he played away against Germany and yeah. did, did really well. I mean, he Steve Roberts great. as well. Such a cultured centre-half. I'd also say Mel... Uh, sorry, you say Mel Pedrick, but i also also say Sean. Yeah, not as good as Dad. Missing no, he's not stash. as good as Dad. He was taller and he was quicker. He was a lot quicker. Then, he was uh, good in that in our promotion season, wasn't he? I know he wasn't one of the main ones, but didn't he start playing around then and came off the bench a few times? Possibly, yeah, I mean, we had a good... There was actually a surprisingly decent rotation that season in terms of players. I'm going to throw another one in before we leave this. I'm going to say Craig Morgan. Yes. Yeah, the wolf. Yeah, yeah I think he, he was... More, he's got more, more hair on his chest at 15 than I've had in my entire life all over my body. <laughs> more hair on my chest at 15 than... Tim Edwards had on his balls. <laughs> what, about his, what about his top knot, though? Your, your top knot, you've got plenty on there. Beautiful, beautiful. Right. Um, well, there we go. Congratulations, uh, Big Bry. And uh, sorry if we've forgotten anyone, which I'm sure we will, but you, no doubt people will tweet this with them uh, angrily, so that's fine. Direct all correspondence to Reese at... <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> not. Go the Fearless in Devotion Twitter page, but you can email us in at fearlessindevotion at gmail.com about uh, anything. Just one last thing as well. Thanks very much for Mark Crichton for being our guest today, but also thanks to Mark for being our agony uncle in the upcoming fanzine. So he's already done an, uh, a dear beast where he will take your problems and answer them in a no-nonsense way. What's that you say? A fanzine? A hard copy fanzine, did you say? Well, you'd say it's hard copy, but you can also buy it digitally, young Timothy. Mm, there These you are go. exciting times. Wow. More to be revealed soon. <laughs> know Keatsy well um he's coming for some flack this season um me included in that to be honest me and too. then we've had a lot of sort of you know recent run sort of last couple of months where momentum has picked up and then we've had you know a relative fair bit of misfortune aligned to those last two defeats over Easter but I'm just wondering where you stand on it because obviously you, you've, you've you've seen from first-hand experience how difficult it is to be a manager what sort of person is Dean when it comes 
to dealing with that. It, it seems to me he can take the pressure head on. Um, he just lets it wash over him and he gets on with the job in hand. Is that is that fair fair to say? Yeah, I think I think when I first when Dean first went into management, I was actually quite surprised because Dean's although Dean was a leader and a talker on the pitch, he wasn't a talker off the pitch. Um, if you remember back to his playing days, he very very rarely did a you know a press conference after the game. He didn't really go and speak to the you know to the media after the games. He didn't like doing it. Now a huge part of being a manager is being able to stand up in front of people and talk to them and, and explain things that you're doing. Um, so that was the first shock for me. But um, Dean will always rub off on you, and he did as a captain and the players around him. And I was fortunate enough to play in the same team as Dean. You know, his 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 do or die attitude is if you're around him, you'll get it, you understand it. You know, he'll he'll run through that wall with you. Um, so that that's infectious and that will rub off and you know and that will put him in good stead for management. Um, I think I think recruitment wise hasn't always been brilliant, but I don't always put that on Dean's toes. I think a club the, the club needs to have a network of people that you know are going out there and you know let's, the way football is now, it's 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 hard to recruit. You can't just go to the Conference North and find you know the best player there. Um, because normally if there's a good player there they've gone to a, a high level and they've been snapped up and you can't it's hard to get players from you know your pro clubs coming down on loan because they're nine times out of ten aren't ready to come and play at that level um, you know you need to be going over to, to your islands up to your Scotland and try and try and nick a gem from somewhere else ultimately that's that's what I feel and, and Dean can't do that um, one of the things that I did for Andy Morrell when I got injured was I said look Mars, I can't just twiddle my thumbs here, like, give me a role. And he went, right, go and do some scouting for me. I was like, yeah, son, happy days. But Mozart could only do that because I was prepared to do it. Yeah. Right? And if you're going to ask other people to do it, you've got to pay them to do it. You know, this is this is taking hours, you know, and I was driving five-hour round trips to go and do scouting reports for Mozart, but I was ultimately getting paid by the club anyway. So for me, I was just, that was me doing my bit. Um, but if you're going to ask, you know, somebody to go and do that for you, you've got to pay them. You know, you get you get what you pay for ultimately. So I think I think that's something that needs to be addressed within the club um, moving forward, and I'm and I'm sure it will be. We've already spoke about money and budgets, which is always handy if you've got a decent budget. And I think you know we all see it get leaked. I think Wrexham have had a decent budget. I don't think we can deny that they've had a decent budget for the last few years. But the biggest thing that people don't realise, you need a massive slice of luck massive slice of luck that goes along with all those other pieces um you, you kind of feel i feel for dean in a way because there's lots of things that are going against him at the minute um and you're right in recent weeks we did suddenly start clicking and prior to that we were just finding a way to nick a result here and there whereas i think in some recent games we've actually looked really good and looked well worthy of winning games you know, I, I thought we were unlucky uh, on Monday, really, against Torquay. I thought we, we were all right. But then, you know, things happen and, and you lose a game of football and, and that's it. But you, you you need that massive slice of luck in football as well. It plays a big, big part. You know, same thing when we go back to the 98-point season. Brendan Rodgers ain't at that game watching Curtis Obeng. What happens then, Andrew? Do you know what I mean? All these things that, you know can happen to you because again if we're successful people are going to want to buy our players 
You know, and it's how, how we can probably cope with that now, maybe because of the financial influence we have. We can maybe go, well, no, do you know what? We can hold fast. And if someone makes a ridiculous offer, then you're probably going to sell anyway. But, you know, at least you've got that opportunity. Whereas under the, the, the fans' ownership, every single penny counts. So, you know, somebody could come in and nick one of our starlets. For example, Jordan Davis. If he carries on doing what he's doing, he's gone. And if you go back to a fan ownership model, you probably you probably get sold for 30 grand because we need that money. Whereas under the model we're under now, you can probably go, well, no, if you want Jordan Davis, you probably have to give us a quarter of a million. So, so then it's, it, you know, that's probably then worth taking. But, you know... You've touched on it a bit, Christ. I wanted, I wanted to pick you up on the playing style because I think it's fair to say that that seems to be behind a lot of the gripes of a lot of supporters. Yeah. And also, you brought up the 98-point season as well. And it, it, it's always stuck with me that I remember that, you know, obviously we've all, we all kind of eulogised that season. It was probably, you know, obviously it's been our best season for a long time and we all yeah. had a great year following, even though it was gutting. But... I think a lot of us forget about how much of that season was won by nasty one nils away and by nasty one nils at home as well. I was just looking at the table actually, and I saw actually Mansfield town scored more goals than us. Fleetwood scored 17 more goals than us, but we conceded 15 fewer goals than basically everyone else. And do you think he's sort of, trying to rebuild that somehow although i know you can't compare the two sides if you look at dean as a player that's that's what dean was he was just that holding midfielder kept things moving nicely sidewards and you know and backwards at times leader would speak and talk he never he never played in a team or we weren't in a team where it was free free flowing attacking beautiful gary mills football when he first came in we never played that we didn't play that way um you look at the way we played and the way we were successful and the way we won games, right? We would always come out and the first thing we did, first 20 minutes, we would call it a power play. We would literally throw everything down their neck for 20 minutes, relentless. Don't take your foot off the gas, smash them for 20 minutes. Hopefully we score once or twice and then we, take, and then we sit back and we go, breather. That's how we won most of our games. And it's those games where we would be in big diagonals onto Danny Wright and Andy Morrell from both sides of the pitch. And we would pick up the second balls with Jay Harris getting on the, getting on the knockdowns from, da- from Danny Wright or Spadey getting in behind because he's flicked it on. That's how we played. There was, there was no real difference. The, the difference is now, for me, at the football club, is we haven't got a Danny Wright. We haven't got an Andy Morrell. We haven't got a Jake Spade. You know, we, were, we weren't just lumping the ball forward. We were doing it in a way that we knew that we were playing to those sort of strengths. Um, and yes, we could also pass the ball and move it around and keep it. But we never, ever used to do that until we were 2-0 two, two up or 3-0 up. Because that's when you can. The pressure's off you. They, the, the game gets expansive. You can start moving the ball around then nice and easy. Do you think that we're doing that now? A lot. I think a lot of the frustration at the moment has been it doesn't feel like the first 50 minutes of the game we want to grab no. by the scuff of the neck no, it's the other team that are doing it to us absolutely and if you've listened to, to me say you know on comms one of the first things I always say is I want to see us take the game to them I want to see us we're in our back garden let is, let's grab the game by the scuff of the neck and let's just murder them for the first 20 minutes and if they keep a clean sheet you go fair enough happy days we're tired now we're going to have a little rest but just go and have a go and if you come out the traps Nine times out of ten, you can be one or two nil up after twenty minutes, and then the game's easy. You just manage it. 
Unless it's Notts County away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. From, the, from the highlights I saw, I didn't watch the full game, but that's what we did. We absolutely yeah. rumbled down the throat and we were unlucky. Did, did, well, you say unlucky, we should have took our, some of our chances. We didn't. But on the flip side of that, if you go 2-0 two, two up, Tim, you're cruising. Because then you can keep the ball and then you can time waste, do whatever you want. You've already almost won the game at that point. Yeah. But you've got to have the... Per- we, we had the personnel and the players who could do it week in, week out, you see. And we had, you know, the squad rotation as well. You know, if Danny, if Danny Wright weren't winning his headers, all right, get Pogs off the bench. Get Pogs on. Yeah. Same, similar sort of players. We had those players at our disposal. We had players that could recognise and were experienced enough to recognise that we didn't need a manager to say, right, that, that isn't working. We'll change the way we're playing now. We, we would recognise that ourselves on the pitch. I don't see much of that from the team that we currently have. I think they very much need direction with everything they do. Uh, and that's hard, you know, when you're, when you're standing on the sideline as a manager, you can't tell every single player what to do in every single scenario. At some point, they have to figure it out themselves. So, very, very quick question on this then, Mark. Say next season, Dean Keats is still in charge. Can he do that? If he has a bit more money, can he get the players in to, to work this system? Can he get Wrexham promoted? Have we, got, have we got a scouting network to go and find these players? I hope we have. That's what, that's, this is all the parts of the jigsaw you need. Right? You know, Dean can't or shouldn't have enough time to be out there looking for players. He should be fully focused on working with the players that he has to develop the system that he wants. He, should, he probably hasn't got time to go out there or he shouldn't have time to go out there and, and find these players. He should have a network of people to do that, that he trusts, uh, that he, he's, he's obviously given a remit to say, I want this sort of player, I want this sort of player, I want this sort of player. Go and find them for me. Yeah. Um, so in a nutshell, I think Dean, I think Dean could get us promoted. He's, he's, you know, he's had, before he went to, uh, to Warsaw, you know, he, he nearly did it then. Um, so I, think, I think he could, but it, it's, it's all the other bits that come with it. Right. It's all the other bits that come with it as well. Um, you know, and, and without being, you know, critical of, of the fan ownership and, and, that, and that sort of structure as well, you know, there are certain things that the, the, the fan ownership model hindered as well. When you're a manager, um, you need to make real quick snap decisions. You know, if a player comes available, you know, that you didn't realise was, you need a decision to go, right, can we get him, yes or no? Under the fan own ownership model, and this is when I played, so I would imagine it was a, a similar type of thing, You'd have to have a meeting about a meeting about a meeting about a meeting to decide whether you could actually do something or not. And by this point, that opportunity might have passed. Right. So that's where, when you've got one person who can make that decision, so I, you know, I, a CEO or somebody who can actually go, yes, spend that money, that is hopefully going to alleviate that sort of issue as well. Um, and, and I get it, you know, it's not that the fans wanted to delay, delay things, but there's a certain process when not one person has the control of it. So you have to go through, you know, the mediation side of, okay, well, we need to run this past everybody and get a vote and say yes or no. And, 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 and that's the problem with football. You need quick decisions at times. Um, and I know that players have been missed because of delays like that. Um, right. So I think moving forward, I, I hope moving forward that these things will slowly iron themselves out. And then ultimately, you take away the excuses. Because that's you know that's what we've got at the moment. We've got excuses and, and and some rightly justified excuses as well. But if they're gone and Dean doesn't fulfil what we all want him to fulfil, 
then it's we all know what it, you know it, it's see you later yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody else come in and do it so you know I, I wish him all the luck in the world he's a lovely lad you know we've, we've got history together as players but ultimately I'm a fan of this football club too so I want us to get promoted um, and if that's not under Dean I hope to God it is but if it's not under Dean it will be under someone else We're coming to the uh, to the end of the podcast now, and that means predictions. So, who wants the bad news? Yeah, After, yeah when, just when you think there's three, three, three losses on the bounce, but pantomime villain Reese has actually <laughs> got one spot on. So, his his predictions of a 1-0 win for Torquay, followed by a 2-1 victory for Wrexham. So, he was wrong on that. You know what has annoyed me, though, is that I, I did not think we'd beat Stockport. I felt peer pressured into doing something positive. So from now on, what? I'm going to stick to my guns and, and be negative. It's not up for Doom merchants. <laughs> He's like the Christopher Biggins of the football prediction. <laughs> I feel like getting him in the little theatre just so I can boo at him. <laughs> so anyway, so you've got five points for the correct prediction there, and you're up to nine. Everyone else, me, Liam and Tim... We're still grounded on two because <laughs> we're too <Christ>. positive. <laughs> we went for draws, we went for wins, we did not go for three straight defeats. And <laughs> or fool us, to be honest. <laughs> so, so we've got a few other games. We've got two before, two to go before the next podcast. So we've got Halifax away and then we've got Woking away. So Liam, do you want to go first? I, I think I'm just going to have to go down the miserablest route just because um just feels like it's going you know, to uh, do well. I think um, I, I can't even say I know where either of those teams are in the league, but I'm going to go. Well, Halifax have just gone above us, haven't they? Well, yes. there we go then. So that's that's a 2-0 defeat straight off there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting into, the, getting into the, the reach swing of things now. Mm-hmm. And um, then Woking, I'll go for, I'll be slightly more optimistic of 1-0 defeat, but I just want some points on the board, to be honest. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Tim, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah, I'm just having a look here. Halifax, three points above us with a game in hand. They've only lost nine compared to our 11. Uh, I think we'll stop the rot. I think we have to stop the rot, but I don't see us stopping it by three points. So I'll go with a, a lovely goalless draw um, against Halifax. Woking, fighting for their lives. What are they, five points above the drop zone in 19th? Oh, I don't know. I'm going not to fight for their lives. No one's I'm, going down. Yeah, I'm going, to go for, I'm going to go for two draws, would you believe? So I'm going to go for a score draw against Woking. And I'm going to go for a board draw against Halifax. So score draw, what are you going for? One each? Well, yeah, it doesn't really matter, does it? It's just the draw that gets me the point. No, you need to, if, 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 it's, if it's two all and you've got Play one on the line, come on. Yeah. All right, yeah, of course. All right, so ball draw against Halifax. So, Woking, I'm going to go um, one each. Cool. Right, Reese, do you want to bring I'm the mood down? Along similar, I'm going to go along similar lines to Tim. I think that, I think surely they're going to stop the rot at some point. If, I, as I said, I struggle to see us go into Halifax and getting three points. So I'll go with a, I'll go with a one all at Halifax, um, and at at Woking, I'll go with 
we'll go there and beat Woking. Why not? Why don't we just turn the tables on this? I'll say we're going to work in and we'll win. We'll win 2 1. <laughs> we'll win 2 1. I mean, look at the competence of the guy at the top of the uh, prediction table there. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know what? They would, they, that's exactly what I was going to go for. I'm still going to go for one each. I think we have enough to. If we get put Pearson back in, organise that defence, I think we can get a one-all draw at Halifax. I think we'll be in the lead up until the 89th minute and then something will go wrong. <laughs> and I'm going to go for a 1-0 away win. Bloody uh, hell. Yeah, at Woking. Don't I look miserable now? Thanks again for listening. Uh, hopefully Wrexham can turn it around and we can be all be a bit more cheerful on the pod. Um, but in the meantime, please remember you can email us at fearlessindevotion at gmail.com and also please follow the Fearless in Devotion Twitter page where you can engage with us too. Thanks for listening and goodbye. See you. Thank you. Yeah. The army is the name.